Welcome everyone to the Aggregators and Brands show. And uh, today I am, uh, my name is Hi. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Eva.Guru. And together with uh, Omar, who is the CEO and founder of uh, March and Business. Hey, how you doing? And we have a great guest, uh, Christian, uh, and from Nextoria. And he will tell us more about like uh, himself and what Nextoria is doing. And I think we will have an amazing conversation about aggregators, brands, merch, uh, acquisitions, and uh, all that stuff. So, Christian, welcome to the show. Thanks, hi. Thanks, Omar. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Please tell us more about yourself, uh, about Nextoria, and uh, and we can take it from there. Sure. Nextoria is a uh, M&A advisory firm. We're actually fairly rare in the in that we are are venture backed, so we're we're fully funded. We're fairly new in in the marketplace. We're a little over a year old. Um, and what our model is, it's somewhat differentiated because we're like fully funded. Our team. We, we don't charge any fees up front. We, we kind of position ourselves to work longer term with clients. So, you know, 12 to 18 months on a full, you know, soup to nuts exit plan and, uh, and really drill down deep into the clients that we work with. We're fairly picky um, in, in making sure that it's the right fit. Um, I joined Nextoria um, a little under a year ago. I, I, came from the world, from the legal world, actually. So I'm an attorney by trade. Um, I'm a, I'm a former regulator in, in the state of Florida, uh, in the cannabis industry. I jumped, um, into the private sector. I started a law firm and that law firm kind of migrated from, uh, really specifically regulatory law dealing with governments to more and more dealing with M&A because that's the way the cannabis market kind of went, um, in the, in the mid to late teens of, of 2000. Um, and so now um, I, I switched over to uh, e-commerce M&A with, with Nextoria. Um, I, I love the team. I, I go back with a, a few of its founding members. And it was, it, it, you know, when you go from kind of very corporate M&A where you're working with these big public companies to being able to work with kind of smaller founders and people who are very day-to-day passionate and in their companies, it's night and day. And it's a, it's a much, it's just a wonderful lifestyle compared to, you know, the more corporate M&A lifestyle. Isn't it? Like, I mean, that's what I always think about, you know. And um, uh, so, I mean, that's super interesting, uh, the whole uh, acquisition market, because what happened, you know, and one of the reasons why we started this show is uh, we call it the aggregators and brands, but it's pretty much about like the brands and the acquirers, and and it might not be aggregators. Obviously, there might be other type of uh, you know acquirers too. Mm-hmm. Even they, we see more brands acquiring brands uh, as well. But uh, I mean, one of the reasons we started is because like a couple of years back, uh, you know. You know, the whole aggregators, uh, you know, kind of gig started with Trasio. It's actually started even before Trasio, but Trasio started, Trasio was able to grow fast. And then it created all this, uh, you know, ecosystem of aggregators, which kind of, I think we are around, there's around 100 aggregators. Uh, they acquired hundreds of brands uh, in the last uh, couple of years. And then suddenly, after this Wall Street clash in around like in summer period, and then we have seen the fundings like kind of went down with the aggregators. 
Uh, today, we still see some of the aggregators that are raising funds, but compared to last year, I think, you know, it's like 10% of what has what happened like last year at the same time. So, uh, so first of all, like, so how do you see that market? You know, the, the, the uh, aggregators market, you know, like they were acquiring a lot of businesses. Do they continue from your perspective? Are you working with any of them? Uh, or how do you see that? acquisition market changing today we, we are working with them in the sense that like we we have a buyer network of, of over a thousand buyers and that runs the gamut from um aggregators to you know market specific strategics um to you know private equity funds family offices um so aggregators are definitely like a very strong group i think they should be given a lot of credit for uh, for creating the market that that existed and, and flourished up until, as as you mentioned, we kind of had a we had a bit of a downturn. Um, the biggest issue with the aggregators and, and their acquisitions, I, I think, unequivocally, have slowed significantly. Um, it's it's a large large part of its cost of capital. Like in order to make these acquisitions, when debt is extremely expensive, money is extremely expensive. Um, and you you just overall have a kind of a contraction of people who are willing to to put money up and and help with that deal flow it's it's tough if you're an aggregator and and you want to kind of continue this acquisition binge at a at a very high rate i think also some of the aggregators ran ran into kind of head first into a brick wall of, of reality as far as like the the reality is, is once you buy these companies, they still need to make money for you, right? So if you're paying oh, yes. outlandish multiples for an underlying company that can't support those multiples, it's not going to be a good deal. And either your board or your investors, depending on who you're managing, you're answering to, aren't going to be particularly happy. And so part of it is, you know, m macro, some of it is micro. Um, um, and so to your point, we've seen uh, a lot of the deal flow right now has been picked up by strategics. So like, you know, we see in the baby spot space is very big still supplements is still very hot. Um, and so we, we are also entrepreneurial, even though, you know, we're M and A advisors, but we we're constantly trying to look for people who are active and who want to buy the clients that we work with. Um, and so part of that is ex kind of expanding our own paradigm as to who we're shopping these deals to. Okay, that's uh, that's already really interesting. I mean, uh, to go to go into this world um, from your perspective as an uh, M and A firm. Um, uh, hi, do do you still remember? Because last week or a few weeks ago, we we spoke about um, the first the first start um, the first aggregator actually because uh, it was uh, actually it was an Indian company. I didn't find the name, but you remember what we what we were saying or or the guy we have been interviewing. There was somebody down the line who actually did all of this before all the companies like uh, Thrasio and everyone gain uh, so much media uh, um, uh, uh, appearance, you know. Uh, I don't remember it, but I just wanted to, uh, uh, to, to, <laughs> to, to bring it out here. Um, because I'm coming to this because when, when we look at it in 2020, we have been looking at 1 billion uh, in funding. I mean, uh, if, if we look at it at a, as a, from a from a real money perspective, one billion is quite a lot of money, you know. So this is already wow. And we talk about COVID times. That means some of the funds came out from nowhere and have been deployed in order to buy to buy Amazon uh, businesses. 
So again, within COVID time, where everyone was like, even the banks were like literally hanging on their on their money in order to to not to lose it or to see what is going on. There were some uh, very advanced uh, uh, people in there who are actually given already the the, the funds. Uh, out and we talk about 1 billion. So 2021, we talk about 12 billion. Uh, this is the number high is always giving. I love it because it sounds so good. And this really um, shows that the market is very uh, much, was very mature at this point. And afterwards, we talk about 2 billion in 2022. So uh, right now, which is wow, um, 10 billion less. Um, this trend is a bit uh, worrying, I would say, um, but at the same time, understandable. Um, because what I think or what we were always talking about, me and Hai, is that, um, okay, the funds are good. Uh, it's fine that, the, 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 that they're working with it. But now we need to handle it down and build teams and build processes and, and build. And like you already said, Christian, that, that the companies or the aggregators need as well to run these companies successfully. And obviously the ROI needs to be at some point in. So what, what do you think about this trend? What I'm just, what I just, uh, uh, what I just explained, or what do you think? Where, where are we going to go? And, uh, are, um, the companies right now, because they're obviously we, we know out there, there are companies who are turning around 1 billion per, per year, who are turning around 600, 600 million per year. These are numbers which are, uh, completely uh, delusional actually, but they exist. And these uh, size of Amazon sellers exist and they are growing. Uh, rapidly in numbers um so from my perspective i don't see i just see an up you know an uptrend but what do you think from an MA perspective maybe maybe i'm a little bit delusional on that point you know well let me there, there's let me touch on the the simpler part first which is like what i think that the future will be right and so the fe- there's a difference between the future of like 2024 and the future of like 2030 right so I think that like I'm sure every single person who's watching or the vast majority of your own audience and the the people you work with, they, this is, they're true believers in e-commerce because they, they should like, we, we are living at a pivot point in human history where, you know, for basically our entire existence, since we invented currency, we've had a certain model of exchange and we've created a new model of exchange through e-commerce. And so and it's growing. So I, the, I think as far as inevitably, it, there's going to be growth. It's going to continue to, to grow as far as its usefulness, its utility, the proportion of, of, uh, of medium exchange in, in society at large around the world. E-commerce is going to continue to grow. So I think it's a great place to be. It's a great place to, to invest your time and invest your money. Um, now the next year, I think part of what you're, you're describing um, the the best way, this best single variable I can say as to what's causing that is uncertainty. Um, you know, with Europe, you're with energy, U.S., you, we have our own issues. Um, there's a lot of political uncertainty with our midterm elections. We're not sure what direction we're going to go with some basic fundamental economic and taxation decisions in the U.S. And so we, it's really hard to make big purchases when you have economic scarcity as far as your ability to deploy capital when you when you really don't know what the macroeconomic environment is going to be in the next six months and so when we talk to aggregators actually it's really the conversation doesn't go like hey christian i'm really sorry to break it to you but like we just we just can't we can't do deals like we're insulted it's it's more like look 
things are kind of messy right now. If you have a really great company, we'll definitely talk to them, but we're, we're pretty much going to do a pause for like the next quarter or the next two quarters, like bring, bring something to us in the spring. Like it's more, and I, we understand that for these aggregators, it's a little bit more kind of a strategic, like we, it's not that we don't want to do deals. It's just, it's just crazy out there. We, and we just, it's very difficult to predict how things are going to flow. So we, before we deploy $20 million for this acquisition, like we kind of need to know how things are going to go for the next couple months. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, thank you for, for that reply. Um, I want, I wanted to put in as well, because we mainly talk about the European uh, economy or the European marketplaces and, And uh, the American uh, in general, um, mm. obviously, there is South America, there is Canada, there is right. a, a lot more countries. But just in general, because um, for the moment, if you look at, you look at the mm. European Union, there is as well have been many marketplaces added in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And recently, like a few days ago, Belgium was as well there. That shows for me as well that um, economically, um, Europe, e-commerce won't go anywhere. They will just grow rapidly. And, and uh, every single marketplace in these in these different countries which is going to open we have uh, i think 27 or 28 if i'm not mistaken um if then half of them going to add a marketplace that means we create in every single country an own e-commerce ecosystem which obviously will lead to a rapid growth and a lot of sellers can make a lot of money in there mm -hmm. so we have we have now the position of the european union which obviously is growth we have uh, the us which is i don't know There is growth as well, but a bit stagnant, I would say, because where should the growth go if we cannot like geo target um, within the country, for example, through the marketplace, because it's one big marketplace and there is Walmart and there are some others. But my point now is where I want to go is, for example, the UAE and, and Saudi Arabia, we, what, we, what we see is that a lot of companies um, are going there and even governments are going there to um, search for funding, for example. Um, do you see, do you or hi, do you have the same information or a Christian as well? Um, um, what, I, what I just mentioned. Hi, do you want to, do you want to take that? Or do you want sure. me to, so I'm, I'm going to just kind of start from what Christian said. And I like to always talk okay. about data, right? Because I'm like obsessed with all You're the, the data guy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, getting from Amazon sellers. I mean, one of the things like when people talk about e-commerce, uh, this kind of like shows a little bit like, you know, the way the e-commerce penetration versus retail. And uh, the only trend that we see is it's going to be up. Like it's never going down. So we are expecting that like people are going to buy more and more products uh, from e-commerce Uh, rather than retail and and US penetration today is maybe around in during the covid times it was you know kind of hit to maybe even 30% where originally before the covid it was around 17% and now we see that it's you know kind of growing from 22 23 24% but it's only going up so that's i think the 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 first thing to mention Why I like this trend, why I like this one, this graphic, because it also shows that people are buying more supplements from uh, from uh, e-commerce. People buy uh, already the CPG products. And if you think about it two years ago, um, you know, 
like nobody was buying grocery or items uh, from Amazon. But today, now there is no COVID, at least not in San Diego. <laughs> I can tell you that nobody remembers that anymore, what the mask was or things like that. But people still continue to buy uh, CPG products, supplements, and all types of things they were buying continue to buy from Amazon or other depart- other type of uh, e-commerce channels. Another thing that just happened uh, on September the 7th, right? Like where, uh, I mean, we talk about like the clash and all that stuff, but one of the Amazon native brands, uh, Hero Cosmetic, sold for $630 million. And exactly. talk about like multipliers going down, right? Like three per the three X, four X, which is right. But I always kind of tell to my, you know, sometimes, you know, we go into the dilution of uh, mediocrity. What I mean to say is like, you know, maybe there is an average like three X, four X, maybe there is an average, but I mean, who is average? Like, which brand, like, I mean, if you think that your brand is just an average brand, what's the point? You know, like, the, you know, first of all, <laughs> you need to create a brand, which is really great, right? Like, I mean, <clears throat> the founder. And if I'm thinking, hey, my brand is average, okay, then get your Forex and go. <laughs> but if you are building a brand like Hero Cosmetic and you can see that, on this uh, graph where beautiful mighty patch sales like in terms of ranking it went from 300 like this is the best seller ranking on amazon that we very much like uh, monitor and this brand pretty much like uh, dominated the number one point you know that's the best brand right i'm not saying we can talk about the number one guy, but it looks like if you are a brand and if you are in the top 10%, if you are dominating, then this guy got 14x multiple. I'm not saying everybody will do that, but what I'm saying is if you're innovating the product, if you're in the top top 5%, I mean, if you have a great product, hey, people, somebody will buy. If you want to sell, for sure, you're going to get a great market. So why to deal with this average multiplier? Everybody has a different reason to exit, but building the great brand is important. Now, back to what Christian said, you said you work with the brands like uh, in a long term, not just like, hey, you want to sell? Okay, here is, I'm the broker. I sell it in the next one month. I don't know. It looks like you have a different approach to this. So maybe maybe you can tell us that too, like, you know, because it's very interesting to me why you are thinking of long term. Isn't it just a one single transaction? You know, at the end you buy and go. Uh, so uh looks like, you know, you, you kind of understand the value here. Um And sorry, like Omar, I, I kind of like jump into the, you know, like uh, back to the thing. And then obviously there is European and Saudi and funds. I mean, that might also back up the the venture capitalists and all that stuff. But what's your feeling about this long-term strategy? Um, okay. So uh, on the, on the I'll, I'll do the Saudi thing and then I'll switch over to the high question. So on the Saudi thing, I, I think that that kind of, it, it is almost obvious like when when you have these funds that are that are ultimately i, I don't want to say 100% of the capital but like disproportionately funded by the fossil fuel industry i mean it's 
not a lot of industries are doing great worldwide right now. That one is doing pretty well. So when you have, uh, I, I'd say relative, uh, you have rel- relative economic issues in Europe and, and frankly, right now in the United States with um, fuel prices, when, when you have a, a region of the world that's really benefiting from those economically, it's, it's a nice place to go for investment capital if you're seeking. Now, we, we don't really, I, candidly, I, I don't deal in my day-to-day work with, with um, venture funds or with financiers out of the Middle East much at all. So I, I, I would be disingenuous if I said I had a lot of firsthand knowledge, but I, I've heard the same things. What you've said doesn't, you know, it rings true to me. Um, hi. And to your point, like, <clears throat> because we're a bit newer, um, and because we really like the, the touch point of working with founders, really, uh, I like, I would love if Nextoria was handling like a $400 million deal. Great. <laughs> you know, we can all fill our garages with sports cars. That'd be great. But, um, I mean, like certainly we, we would, I mean, I'd be very excited to work with, with a company like that. I think Nextoria could um, represent them amazingly well and we get them a great deal, maybe even a better deal. Uh, our, our target client that we tend to work with are, you know, five to $20 million deals. And those, those enormous, amazing multiples that you just pointed out, they're possible, but really it's kind of a sliding scale. As you, as you get higher revenues, as you, as you have good margins, as you, you know, you kind of package these whole things, you, the multiple go, go up. And so if you're a diamond as far as a company, um, you're, you're going to have a, a demand, a higher multiple than if you're, uh, you know, a, a $5 million, uh, supplements company with, with, you know, 60, uh, um, 60 product offerings and your, your margins are fine, but need work. Your marketing is fine, but needs work. Um, what we do is, you know, frequently when we're talking to someone, so say I'm sitting across the table at a conference, um, and I'm, I'm talking to an e-commerce seller and, you know, one of the first things I ask, I ask a lot of e-commerce sellers is, you know, have, what, what's your plan for exit? When, when do you have, and most people will respond like one out of 10 people will respond back. It's like, I have this plan. I have my pitch book ready. Like my, my finances are on order. I'm just waiting for that right time. A lot of people are like, you know, I'd like to do it someday, but, um, they don't really have the plan to do it. And so what we, we do is we're like, well, let, let's get into your seller board. Like let, let us, we'll get on a consultation call. We'll, we'll dig into your financials. We'll come back and we'll kind of tell you what our appraisal is and what our recommendation is. And frequently our recommendations, if your finances are a mess, we have to get your finances order. If your marketing or your OPEX or your supply chain are a mess, we need to get that in order. And, and, what we find at the kind of the lower end of the spectrum. So getting out of like the 40, 50, $60 million deals, if you're dealing with like a five, six, $7 million deal, you can really have a strong Delta by preparation and getting your company in, in order and make, and really nailing that first impression with the buyer. So they take you seriously and, and they feel like you have a very strong, healthy company versus a company that needs a lot of work once they buy that. Cause that shows up in, in what they offer you. If they feel like they're going to have to change a lot of things and your underlying company isn't particularly healthy. So that's what I would say. It's like our multiples aren't, aren't quite what, what the huge companies for this, but we, we do, we do improve. And that's why we can justify our fees when we're working with clients. Cause we'll, we'll raise the, what their ultimate acquisition price is more than, um, 
they'll, they'll, it'll cost them to work with us. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, one of the things that I always uh, see when we start working with a brand, which is already successful, like for example, last year, let's say they moved from a million to 10 million, which is very much a possibility on the, in the Amazon world. But mm -hmm. then when we look at the 10 million revenue and let's say there is a 18% margin uh, what we did was like, you know, when we start working with them in three to six months, we see a 30 to 40% profit increase. And mm -hmm. it's very normal why we are able to see that 30, 40% increase because they do not optimize everything. Like when you are growing as a company and I have the same problem even with Eva, sometimes internally people ask me, hey, we don't have this process. Like why we don't have this process? Hey, because we didn't even have that department like six months ago and that's why we don't have the process. Now it's very normal for the growing companies like, they do not optimize on A costs, on advertising costs, on inventory, supply chain, even Amazon audits. Like we do something called reimbursements. And uh, with that reimbursements, we are just able to bring to that company that we thought uh, we talk about like an additional $65,000 as a profit. And they didn't even know about that. So that kind of like things which helps the operational uh, efficiency as well as revenue growth that can easily, uh, I mean, grow the profit, the grow the margin, probably that's kind of like uh, what you're referring to. And, and obviously people, you know, like the buyers look at the multipliers uh, as a multiplier of the profit as well, right? I mean, if I... Right. So that's even more important today, even with the startup world being a SaaS company. Um, in the last year, um, the venture capitalists were looking at the growth and month-on-month -month growth. And this year, what I'm seeing is like, hey, what about your profits? Uh, what's your what's your LTV to CAC? And I mean, how much profit you make? I mean, these kind of like questions come first rather than. Uh, the third place. So I fully uh, understand that as well. So, um, I mean, that's, that's, uh, so are you like, how are you helping then? Like, you know, if you feel, if you see that, like uh, the, uh, the finance is not uh, properly, you know, the bookkeeping, bookkeeping was not done right. Or I don't know, like maybe there are some other problems with the finances. Do you guys have that department or you take, you outsource it or how does it work? We have strategic partners, so depending on the market that you're in, you're, we'll, we have people who we can recommend you, what, what you do. Um, so, but really, it, you know, it, it, you should, we should not poo-poo that initial conversation, which is, you know, the, the loving hand on your shoulder and being like, you know, people in your life haven't told you this, but your financials are terrible. Like, you really need to clean these things up. Like, if you're going to submit these to a buyer, you know, you, you have to use a cruel based accounting. Like you, you need, you need books and you need a bookkeeper. You need an accountant. You need, and one or both of those people need to understand the business of e-commerce because it, there's some quixotic things about the company. Um, you know, it, and it's interesting to your point, not, not to pivot too much, but, um, it, it's fascinating because a lot of the dynamics that e-commerce is experiencing, the the American cannabis and Canadian cannabis markets like experienced three years ago. 
So it, there's actually some very similar dynamics, and it's, it's very interesting because the, the the sentiment you just expressed was the same thing that people were saying in like 2018, 19, where it was like the cannabis market exploded, where everyone was chasing revenue, and they're chasing in in a U.S. which limited mar- licenses, were chasing like licenses in specific markets so that they could have market penetration, and they were treating these things like tech companies, valuations like tech companies. These things were. Exp- all anyone cared about was growth and and revenue. <clears throat> and then people figured out none of these companies were making any money, like they weren't profitable. And that completely changed the analysis for M&A where like people started caring about profits. They started saying, if I buy your company, am I going to make my money back? And how long is it going to take me to to have a return on my investment? The exact same thing is happening in e-commerce right now. Very similar dynamics where the perspective is moving from kind of a sugar high of revenue to like, let's put this on a spreadsheet. Let's, you know, let's, let's do some math here and actually figure out what our ROI is going to be on this business as adults. And I actually think it's, it's fair, like it's painful, but like the aggregate um, effect of, of everyone kind of taking the math a little bit more seriously, I think it'll, it'll be beneficial for people who run their company like grownups and, um, um, who have really solid companies to sell. And I, I think that they'll kind of, we're separating some of the wheat from, wheat from the chaff right now. Well, that's a very, very nice explanation um, of everything what is going on at the moment. Um, and, and in order to wrap this up as well, a little bit, if if Hai uh, still wants to ask something, um, um, I just want to make sure that we have everything in one go. Um, how would you say, for example, makes you difference because you're, you're an M&A firm and every, every M&A firm have a little bit of a speciality and a little bit, you know, um, some help, some help clients directly, others just throw the money, get the company and, and that's about it. Or they, they follow through on the whole process. And like you said, you work with the, the, the founders or even the buyers all together, um, keeping it in one go and making sure that everything goes smoothly. What, what would be your, um, your reply on this, how uh, you would set apart uh, you as an animated phone in order to choose you to to work with you? Sure. So so first and foremost, um, we're we're very high touch on clients. So like we we are not just kind of let's let's just get your pro formas, get your financials, get your slide deck, and just flip you. Um, we, we work very intensely. I mean, if they, if they want to just flip, they say, we need to sell this company in 30 days, make it happen. Like we, we can do that. But, um, our, our focus is really working with, with people who might need a little bit of of assistance and getting them to where they need to go. Um, our fee structure also is for entrepreneurs who are kind of still building They're they're putting everything they can back into their company. They, you don't owe us a single cent until we ultimately um, sell your company. So our fee structure and touches our, our touch point are kind of very key differentiators. I would also say like, once you start working with us is um, we, we are very, very good. Like we have expand consultants. We have people within our organizations who have built and sold their own companies before. Um, we are very good at getting in and helping kind of diagnose issues at um, helping you put your best foot forward to buyers and also, you know, visualizing your data. So we have a lot of, um, of, um, 
we have a very high competency and a high degree of uh, sophistication in our ability to take what you are doing and translate that to precisely kind of what buyers want want to see as far as visualization. So um, I, that those are our, our primary selling points when we talk to clients. We we also I know this is this doesn't show necessarily up on a slide deck, but it's it's a fairly um, young company. Everybody there really, really likes e-commerce and they really like working very closely with founders who are passionate about their business. Um, and so you, it, it, it's generally a very positive interaction in dealing with us. We're on your team very strongly. Um, and we, we get very emotionally connected and wrapped up in, in making our, our founders and our, our sellers successful. So we lose sleep with you. We, uh, we, we get very, very happy when you sell as well. So that, that's kind of our, our key points of differentiation. Amazing. Thank you. I My think, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, that's uh, really a great conversation. I think we went through a couple of things that are very important for our audience, uh, both in Europe and in, U in the U.S. Uh, hundreds of brands are watching this. So thank you, Christian, for the time. Uh, thank and, you so uh, much, really. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Omar. Thanks, hi. It was, it was wonderful to talk to you guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Likewise.